Welcome to Life on Less Meds, a podcast that reveals the truth about drug side effects and the best strategies to manage them. And now your host, Dr. Yosef Wittering. I'm Dr. Yosef Wittering. It's my pleasure to be joined again by uh, one of the greatest uh, benzo coaches out there, Chris Page. Uh, today, we're finishing up our uh, series on uh, on hope, which is uh, a strategy that Chris uses with his patients to kind of guide them out of the pit of despair that is protracted benzodiazepine withdrawal injury. So without further ado, Chris, I'm going to turn it over to you. Tell us about P&E. Well, great. Good to see you again. And thank you again for uh, having me back on, on the interview podcast. And really just excited again to talk about hope and how essential it is for everybody suffering out there. So we covered H&O. Um, and so I created, you know, in the mnemonic uh, for P&E, the first one is probably the hardest one. Um, well, maybe they're all hard in their own individual ways. But I think about you know, for P, I came up with two words. I came up with patience and persistence. And patience is so crucial in this because anybody that is iatrogenically injured, especially chronically, knows that the time length of this can, can really stretch on and on for some people. And, you know, I, I've often said to my clients, you almost have to conceptualize things in dog ears. You know, if something takes one month of a normal course, it might take seven months in this, you know, things like that. I mean, just to kind of have a realistic time frame in our heads, even though I think everybody would also agree you have to kind of throw the calendar out. Um, but, you know, I think patience, which is, you know, the ability to delay things, the ability to tolerate delaying things and accepting that things are delayed and that that suffering or trouble that you're in you're tolerating it without trying to get frustrated and upset. And I know sometimes I ask very challenging things, which is how do I not be upset and scared and overwhelmed when I'm going through, you know, akathisia or other iatrogenic syndromes. And I would argue again, it's to the best of your ability, you know, just trying to the absolute best of your ability to be patient. Um, because, uh, we all want to know, you know, I think another thing that's hard in this is the lack of an expiration date. And that's again, where the patience comes in. And I always conceptualized my journey as a day-to-day -day slog, a day-to-day -day marathon, you know, but every step, even when I was pacing, I would conceptualize it as I was walking towards the outcome, walking towards the healing that I truly hoped would be available for me one day and is now. And, you know, Patience again, Gandhi said to lose patience is to lose the battle. And I, you know, I think both of us are so heavily invested in helping people fighting these battles because they, it is a fight. It's an incredibly challenging fight. And, but we have to stay in the fight, the, have the patience and the resolve to stay in the fight because as we'll talk about with E, is the the payoff the outcome is what's worth the patience and um you know jean-jacques rousseau a philosopher said patience is bitter but its fruit is sweet and that is so true you know i would argue for anybody out there scared and suffering 
I know patience is a bitter pill to swallow in this. It's a very challenging thing to ask you to wait when you are suffering. But the payoff is what's worth it. The fruit that is at the end tastes so good. And it's just the most amazing outcome that justifies this awful, awful journey that you're enduring right now. And well, Confucius and Chris, says, uh, oh yeah, go ahead. Well, I was in. just going to say, you know, when you, when you're telling, like, when you're telling people to stay patient, um, how do you, how do you get them to do this? How do you get them to, to, you know, in, in to, to, to let go of wanting it to be solved, you know, right now or in a month or something or, and, and, and tell them like, Hey, you know, this might last five years. You know, this is, this could be three to five years or something like. I mean, I think, I think yeah. it's a radical acceptance again. You know, I think it's just this idea that I'm not asking you to be happy about this. I'm not asking you to be okay with it even. I'm just asking you to be with it, you know, to to stay in the game, to stay in the fight. And I often tell people, let me pull you to the finish line, that I will stay with you as long as takes for you to get to that beautiful destination that I truly believe is waiting for all of us going through this, that, you know, there is a healing that will occur that will get us back to a life that is well worth living. You know, I think I've said before, do people fully heal? I'm not sure. But do people always heal to a place where their life is worth living? I've seen that universally. And, you know, that's kind of the message I'm saying too, which is, I'm asking you to patiently endure something so awful, but I tell clients all the time, I would never waste your time. I would never ask you to persist and be patient when I didn't believe there was an outcome that was positive, that, you know, I'm not giving you false hope. And I think, again, it's back to that acceptance of, I accept that this is what it is. And I also accept that, you know, unless people, I believe, do other things that interfere, that people have positive outcomes in this as long as they stay patient. Mm -hmm. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say, Confucius says, it does not matter how slowly you go, uh, how slowly you go, as long as you do not stop. And that's the key, is that it's, you know, I think I've spoken about it before. It's, it's the Stockdale paradox. You know, it's the idea that I never question if I'm going to get to the end. I am going to do this. I can do this. I have to do this because my life is so unique and special. It's, you know, there's only one Chris Page. There's only jo one Joseph Wood Dorn. And we have to embrace our uniqueness and specialness, you know, that it's worth hanging in there, that we're worth hanging in there. But then the second part of the paradox is how do I do it day to day? How do I survive those moments? How do I get, you know, through 101 p.m. and 102 p.m. and 103 p.m.? And I think in the other videos we've done, I've spoken about some of those tricks I used. You know, I won't hurt myself today. Counting, you know, as I'm pacing, imagining with the numbers e increasing as I'm pacing, that I'm going getting closer to a destination as if I'm climbing a mountain, taking steps up that mountain. Using tricks like that to endure the moment to moment, but at the same time, like I said, never losing sight of the fact 
that there's going to be a positive outcome to this patient suffering. How, how hard was that to do, Chris? I mean, when you were when you were in the thick of it, you know, when you were you know pacing. Tell me about your own personal challenge. You know, trying to trying to stay patient and trying to stay in that mindset. I think it's it's. I think I would argue now it's what's made me so patient now is, um, you know, I think I've said before that that there were definitely times where I was only 50.1% hanging in there. You know, I was 49.9% ready to give up. It was that severe. It was that moment to moment. You know, I think a lot of it is just this insane level of faith that somehow without any evidence because i was getting worse my second year off the medicine um you know without any evidence that i would ever get better just this faith that others have come before me that thousands of others have healed before me and it's just that you know and, and also just this amazing belief i think i have inherently in my body and that even though it was neurotoxically poisoned in a way that it still had the, the strength and the, the natural rejuvenative abilities that, you know, evolution has given me to somehow heal and overcome this. But again, you know, to anybody listening, you know, just know that I have so much empathy because I know the fight. I know how hard it is. And, but it's just, it's worth it. And that's the, the thing that we have to remember that even when our families and friends might be doubting us and disbelieving us and gaslighting us and the medical profession doesn't understand us, and there's really nobody out there that gets us still believe that your unique beauty, your unique idiosyncratic, you know, one of you is worth it. And you will get to a place where the journey will pay off. And that's why it's just so important again, to hang in there, you know, until, you know, I don't like a lot of AA programming per se, but they've got some great cliches and one of the best cliches is don't give up before the miracle. And, you know, that's what I would argue is don't give up before the miracle of healing happens. And I'm very confident it will for you as it did for me. So tell us about the payoff uh, at the end. Well, you know, that's the ecstasy. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think we can think of words like rapturous delight and insanely great happiness i mean for me it's 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 there's so many layers to it it's you know the gratitude i feel for being able to sit the gratitude that i can use my voice and the tone of voice i'm not like at this screechy high-pitched screaming yelling scared voice the fact that you know when we're done with this call i can lie on my couch and read a book calmly and comfortably i mean the very, very basic small things in life I am so grateful for. And then the greater things in life. You know, I think another thing that I've spoken about is one of the things that kept me hanging in there and, and, and kind of trying to move forward were future-oriented fantasies, you know, that, that I would someday get to do interviews like this and tell my story. You know, that someday I would be able to create a research institute studying akathisia and really make a difference for the people that aren't suffering yet, maybe, you know, even preventing cases from occurring. You know, the fact that there was a woman somewhere deep in those recesses that I, you know, manifested into existence and things like that. I mean, I think that, you know, again, 
you know, people often talk about, you know, what's one of the biggest, you know, parts of this is the contrast. I was, you know, I was this bad. I was, you know, I was being tortured alive. I was suffering like no human should ever suffer. And now I'm not. And now, I mean, I mean, I remember for years I couldn't laugh. For years I couldn't listen to music. For years I couldn't feel the sunshine on my face and feel connected to the earth. You know, for years I couldn't take my shoes off and feel the grass underneath and feel grounded and connected to the earth. And now, you know, again, you know, those simple things of feeling the sunlight on your face, feeling the breeze through the little bit of hair I have, you know, things like that that just bring you back to the present moment. And really, I think in many ways, I've almost regained some of that childhood awe that we all had of just, wow, look at the sky. You know, wow, I live, I live close to the ocean. Wow, look at how beautiful the ocean is. Feel the water. You know, it's almost like oh my, like I'm in a constant kind of mindfulness state of really taking, you know, stock of what I'm feeling and how good it feels and what a contrast it is to what I felt. And, you know, I think that is what's so important. You know, I mean, a great quote on ecstasy is just that I'm as happy as I've ever been. You know, I'm in total ecstasy where my life is at at this moment. And that's what I, you know, that's what I try to really give people is the hope that you're here, but you'll get here. And when you get here, it'll be so worth it. Just and so. I, I wanted to ask you, so how long ago did you recover? When, when would you say your symptoms? So I would say, my, you know, that, that my course was three years after the detox of, of acute raging akathisia that, when it started to, you know, it just started to slow enough that I wasn't pacing. So I probably had a year after the active akathisia left of still intense agitation, restlessness, you know, still terror, didn't want to go outside, you know, still very isolated, but but not pacing and as frantic. And then, you know, one of the things I've seen very um, consistently with people, especially people that have been very agitated for a period of time, is it's almost like you have to pay a bill, which is... You know, I was so elevated with my nervous system for years that I went into a, like a year, year and a half of intense fatigue. Like almost like I, I had to pay off all the time that my body was so, you know, ragingly elevated through intense fatigue, almost like I was resting up all the time I couldn't rest. So that whole process took about five five, five and a half years. And then slowly, then I started to, you know, started to coach people and reintegrate my life. So I would argue from a healed perspective, and I would say I'm 100% healed from akathisia. I saw some lingering symptoms of the original iatrogenic injury. Um, but I would say, you know, for the last two, two and a half years, I've been, you know, in the last year and a half, I've been dating somebody that lives 1400 miles away. I've been flying, going on cruises, driving long distances. Um, you know, I went to a hockey game last week. I mean, you know, it's just went to a concert two weeks ago. And that, this is a big shift, too, is even in the last year or so, one of the things that shifted for me, too, is my residual like terror of heights has started to, to reset, too. So I actually went to a concert about a week and a half ago and was able to sit in the upper deck and it didn't cause me any you know, perceptual disturbances, but as opposed to a year ago when I went to the Grand Canyon with my girlfriend and my mom, and I probably got 50 yards away from any of the railings because it was just too overwhelming, the visual, you know, perceptual stuff. 
Sure. You know, but I would argue from a healing perspective, you know, I would say the akathisia is gone. It's been gone for years now. And the iatrogenic injuries, maybe, you know, 80% healed. You know, I saw some lingering symptoms, but nothing that gets in the way of my life in any way. Great. And and that feeling of ecstasy, has that main, main, been maintained since you recovered? Does it yeah. Has it gone up? Has it stable? Has it gone down? Like, is I it just... It just gets better. It just gets better yeah. because the more I can do, um, you know, like one of the things that kept me alive was this belief that I would be able to give back, that I'd be able to help people, that I'd be able to support people. And every week I get to talk to 30 people going through this. And so that just raises my own energy because I feel so purposeful and so useful, you know, being able to really show people that there's a path, that we would really be able to show people that there's a purpose to the suffering. You know, I, I think, you know, I compare what I experienced to a longer version of what a lot of, you know, monks do, which is you go out in the wilderness with no food and water for days. And you kind of induce a state of pain and suffering that leads to enlightenment. And I, you know, would argue that my path in many ways, which ironically, you know, as Admiral Stockdale said after he got out of the prison camp, and, you know, was able to reintegrate to his life. He said, while the experience was profound, I would have never traded it. And would I have ever asked for akathisia again? No. But now that I've survived it and gone through this process, I wouldn't trade it because it really created who I am today. And, you know, I would argue that after I survived akathisia, there's nothing on this planet really that scares me anymore. Because, as I've said, I think in other interviews with you, when you see the devil and you've seen the devil and you look him in the eye, he's not as scary anymore. Great. Well, Chris, I, I, I want to thank you so much for sharing your, your mnemonic. I think it would be good to just highlight the four, the four of them again, just really quickly in, in a minute. Let's, let's walk through the four pillars. So again, you know, we have, you know, hopeful in here is for H. We have to stay hopeful. And then here is so essential because, you know, one of the things I learned on this journey that was so hard is, you know, I was ruminating about the past, about everything that had happened in my life that led me to take psychiatric meds. I was terrified about the future because I'd lost everything. I was disabled. You know, I, I couldn't even in certain ways, you know, predict any positives at that moment, even though I was clinging to those future hopes. But you learn to, to stay in the present. You know, that's why I say in ways I won't hurt myself today. That was one of my present based tricks. Um, and then, oh, is optimism and outlook. You know, we have to have, you know, I think Victor Frankl calls it tragic optimism, meaning that in the light of insane tragedy, in the light of death, in the light of fear and threat, still to somehow maintain some optimism that can carry us through, you know, kind of pulling us towards that future belief that we are going to heal. And then outlook, you know, again, outlook's not going to change my symptoms. It's not. It's not going to change anything, really. But at least it's one place where I can choose, in a sense, to believe that this is possible, to believe that I can do this. You know, and again, it's back to an analogy I've used in other interviews, which is a rip current. And a rip current, the way 
you know, anybody survives a rip current is to relax and stop fighting. You know, if you fight the rip current, you drown. And I would argue that while, again, it's not going to you know have any impact on the intensity of your symptoms, just allowing yourself to accept the process and accept that it is a process, but accept at the same time that the process has a good outcome, I think allows people to have an outlook that gives them an opportunity to get through this. And then P is for persistence and patience, mm-hmm. you know, which kind of go hand in hand. Um, you know, the best way out is always through. It's the only, you know, I think that's another thing that's so frustrating. I wish we could accelerate the process. I wish we could give somebody a, a you know, an expiration date in a sense. But at the end of the day, it's that patience and persistence. It's the idea that I'm going to fight as hard as I can and patiently hope and patiently trust that there's going to be the outcome I desire, which then leads to E, which is endurance, you know, that we have to endure things that I would never ask anybody um, to endure, you know, the harder the battle, the sweeter the victory. And I think that kind of sums up what the endurance leads to, which is that ecstasy, you know, that, that payoff, the return to a life worth living. The return to a life that for many of us was so destroyed that in some ways we grieve what was destroyed, but in a other way, we can almost welcome the fact that we can rebuild in a new way with a better foundation, with some of the gifts and skills we've acquired from this horrific journey and really manifest a life that maybe we've always hoped we could. And, you know, that's what I just want people to hold on to is hope that there is hope that, you know, that people like Dr. Whitdoring and myself are working every day to find more ways to solve this riddle, finding more ways to support people on this journey, because we both are committed to the same thing, which is helping the people suffering, helping people have hope and, and minimizing harm for people and maximizing their gains and outcomes. That's really what we all want. Nice. Well, Chris, I want to thank you for uh, for taking the time to walk us through everything that you know about coaching people through benzo injury. It's invaluable. Well, it's always a pleasure, and I hope to see everybody soon. All right. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to see the full video interview, we also post these to YouTube. Just go to Wittering Psychiatry on YouTube to find those. You'll also find several YouTube exclusive videos from Drs. Yosef and Marissa posted several times a week. Finally, if you need help with your drug taper, getting a second opinion, or managing your post-acute withdrawal, come visit us at WittduringPsychiatry.com. Our sole focus is on helping patients regain control of their lives and achieve optimal mental health on as little medications as possible.